This week's scripture comes from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Thank you for joining us on A Word from Bear Creek. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. When my dad died suddenly at age 60, I found myself just two days after his death going into his bedroom. Mom wanted me to get his suit and shirt and tie to bring to the funeral home. And so I did, and then she shared that he would need socks too. So I went back, and as I opened his bureau drawer, that's what we called dad's dresser, his bureau drawer. We never called our dressers bureau dressers, but we did his. In fact, It was kind of weird even going into mom and dad's room. It was an incredibly private and holy place for us kids. But as I opened the top drawer of his dresser, I smelled something sweet and strange. I I smelled it on dad before before when I watched him welcome someone into the church. My dad was a pastor or as he hugged someone who was grieving or hosted several of the local Nakoda tribes for coffee in our living room. But this was even stronger. And it was coming from this top bureau drawer, coming, in fact, from his sock drawer. As I started through his socks to find a pair that matched, it wasn't hard, they were all black, I noticed and smelled, really, a small box in the back of a drawer. It was a bank box. One you used to put checks in, and for some reason, mainly because of the smell and the power of that sweet fragrance, that I opened that box and became overwhelmed by the scent and essence of my father. It was then that I realized the smell of generosity, of money being given, the power of lives changed by the contents of that box. You see, it was a bunch of canceled checks 
that my father had written. A check for $300 to Sam Sully, a young 20-year-old Native American man who wanted to go to Chicago to start his life anew. A check for $150 for travel for a young teenage girl who was unexpectedly pregnant after being raped by her brother. Hundreds of checks in the $20 to $30 range to too many people to mention to help with their grocery bills or with gas or with a fuel bill. There were checks written out twice a month, sizable checks to the church in which he served and to mission projects he supported. Just in that one year, he had given $14,000 to people in need, and he only made $32,000 that year. He was raising eight children. Now, they were all supposedly grown, but I alone had borrowed $200 from him that spring. As I opened up that little box, that smell of something more than my father overcame me. I had to sit down, and for the first time after my dad's death, I wept. Not just in sadness, but in love. For the godness, the Christness, the, the generosity and love that had poured out of this one soul, my father, in the very ground of being in so many people I knew. It was like I was being given a glass of water from the deep well of God's inner soul. The whole room was filled with the smell of God's goodness, and it was almost like I could hear my dad singing softly to me. Surely goodness, love, and mercy shall follow wherever I go. Surely goodness, love, and mercy shall follow wherever I go. And I knew then that I was dwelling and had been dwelling in the footsteps of a loved one who knew God's holy ground. And I was dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. My dad was just a small-town preacher. He ran for the South Dakota legislator a couple times, but he never even came close. No one who was someone, quote, knew who he was. And yet, God used him to change lives. And yet, he gave so many people hope. He was what we would now call an influencer. But he didn't influence people by what he put on the internet or what he wore or what he purchased. He influenced them by what he sacrificed, by how he gave, by showing up for others. And when he broke his flask of generosity in a new community, that community changed. Speaking of influencers, if you want to listen to an interesting podcast, please go and listen to Rob Bell's new podcasts on hope. They're entitled very simply Hope 1, Hope 2, Hope 3. In the first podcast, he talks about how much influence we all have. He talked about a grocery store. Did you know that every time you go into a, our local grocery store and buy something, someone is keeping track of that? Someone is watching that purchase, keeping track of it. And because you bought that one item or maybe 10 more items, that store will actually change what they are carrying and ordering for that store in the future. You have agency and power in every grocery store you go to. It's not like that store is something external to who you are. You 
by walking into that building are a part of that store's story. And the same goes for the internet, the web, social media sites like Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Just how terrible the internet is sometimes when we look at it. We look at it sometimes as if it is something external from who we are, as if we are here and there's this big technological beast on the other side, a, a beast we have no control of. But the truth is really the opposite, according to Rob Bell and to science. The internet isn't out there, external from us. No, we are a part of the internet. We make up the internet. What we watch, what we like, what we post, what we share, even if it is something we don't agree with. If we watch it, if we click on it, it gets more traction. Just merely by being present on someone's page or platform, we become a part of it. It's scientific fa fact that we affect events just by our presence. The 12th man concept isn't just a Seahawks advertising scheme. It is scientifically proven. We play the game differently if someone is watching. We can change things just by our presence, just how we show up. When I was going into my sophomore year of high school, our, our family moved from a small town in Rapid City, still a small town by Seattle, standards, I would say it was a lot like Wenatchee, maybe, about that size. And I'm, I'm not sure if Wenatchee was like this, but the side of Rapid City that we McBrides lived in was pretty darn rough. I don't know if my mom or dad knew it, but I was offered the opportunity to skip school, smoke a joint, go out and party every day. I was at Rapid City Central, that high school. It pervaded every corner of that place. <laughs> that attitude. The band, the choir, even the sports teams. I remember running in a cross-country meet and our team miraculously won and realizing afterwards that three of our, my teammates took speed to enhance their performance. Rapid in 1977 just had a lot of rough edges. And that kind of culture, when everything is accessible and accepted like that, has an incredible influence on a new kid coming into town. I was a kid at risk in 1977. And my mom and dad, I hate to say this, were kind of AWOL. They were struggling financially. My sister Rachel had died just two years earlier in a, in a car accident, and they were still grieving. My dad was struggling with his calling to be a pastor and had gotten way wrapped up in politics. And add to that the fact that I was number seven of eight and my sister was number eight. I think they were kind of tired of being parents. And I get that. But maybe because of that feeling that feeling that no one was really watching me, I was tempted. And some of it was because mom and dad got so busy they stopped coming to some of my events. They were usually so good at it, always there, but suddenly when we moved to Rapid City for a while, they didn't get there. And I was even more at risk then. That first fall, I didn't go out for choir. I thought they'd have a cow, but they didn't even notice. 
That winter, I went out for basketball and got cut. Dad yelled at me for about five minutes, but then got a call and never mentioned it again. And that spring, I almost didn't go out for track. In fact, I didn't go to the first spring practice. But my cross-country coach tracked me down and told me they needed me, and so I went. But I was never far from that other side of things. Half a season went by. I wasn't doing very good in track. I was kind of one of the bunch running distance. I was about to drop out, to be honest with you, when one meet, who was there but my dad? He didn't say a word, just watched. That's all he did. And the next meet, there he was, just watching. And then there was a meet clear over in Shan, Wyoming, and there was mom and dad. That cross-country coach's voice, my parents' sheer presence prevented me from saying yes to every drug in Rapid City in 1977. Just their presence. Folks, I don't know if you know this, here at this church, your presence changes the whole ball game. Parents, you may not believe this, but if you just keep showing up, you become a number one parent. Your kid is going to make it through. I know you think you've got to read every book. You have to know everything that's going on in that child's head, but your loving presence will prevail. And I know so many of you are doing so much more than just being present, coaching, teaching, getting involved in trunk or treat, such awesome parents you are. But just know this, your presence is number one. In Bear Creek, when you join our church, we talk about supporting the church with your prayers, your gifts, your service, and your presence. And at no time in our history have we known power of your presence than right now. You by showing up, have started to turn our church around. Every one of you, by showing up, have given us hope. And for this, I am eternally grateful. Thank you for showing up.